welcome to the long anticipated return of uh, what's that podcast called? Football on Focus. <laughs> uh, we were just for the for the purposes of transparency, uh, Matthew and I were just talking. I'm Mark, and that's Matthew. Uh, we're just talking about another podcast. I very nearly, uh, I very nearly introduced us, um, introduced you all to that. But alas, we are still football unfocused. We haven't broadcast for a while. Um, so apologies if you've been, you know, struggling to get out of bed in the morning and sort of moping around and really um, finding it difficult to see the purpose and point of life uh, without us. But we're back. We're back to save you and to save humanity. Um, and it's interesting because in that time, there's only been, was it 12 or 13 Chancellor Duke's Jacker since we were last? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you like and that? Counting. Razor sharp satire. That is, that's oh, current that is, you know, know, on the day. <laughs> on the day, isn't it? We know what our audience likes. We do, yeah. <laughs> we need to buy got news for you. <laughs> so, Matthew, how's, how's life? Yeah, fine, good. I mean, you you have quite a good you have quite a good reason for us not being recording. Yeah, well, a new a new bloke's moved into my gaff. Um, <laughs> uh, his name's Killian. Um, he's got some interesting views. Um, he has some interesting um, sort of life um, patterns. Uh, he he likes staying up late, um, which wasn't in the tenancy agreement, really. <laughs> uh, and you know, he, he really focuses much of his noise on those kind of like late uh, slash early hours. And but he really likes to get his head down during the day. So it's kind of the opposite of what most people would say constitutes productivity. Um, yeah. But uh, and, he, and he's formed quite a close bond with um, with your better half, your other half. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, physically, some, some could say that they're they're intrinsically linked, uh, <laughs> almost like they were once part of the same body. Yeah, um, yeah. So he's very attached in that respect. Yeah, um, but yeah, so that's been a, a significant change. But um, young Killian will now form a crucial part moving forward of the uh, um, uh, football unfocused family. He'll be providing <laughs> uh, razor sharp. Uh, content um, and insight. I don't know whether people are going to be able to hear him absolutely screaming his ass off uh, upstairs at the moment. I think he might have shat himself um, because he's been fed and burped and he's he's pretty happy, but he's, you know, so the last of the sort of three possibilities are that he's got an ass, ass uh, full of shit. Um, do you cry that when you, when you have an, uh, you shit, shit all around pants? your ass? Yeah. Uh, I try not to draw too much attention to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, so no. Just get only, away with only, it. <laughs> just try and front it out. Keep your head down, but, yeah. If anyone says, sort of, what's that smell? Just deny it. Go, what smell? <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't me, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Someone said smell. I t- no, I didn't. I t- <laughs> I told my mum she said what your new uh, your new tenant was called, and I I said it's Killian, and uh, she goes, "What's a Killian?" Wow. <laughs> was... Yeah, it's one more than a Gillian, isn't it? Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Ali G humour, that isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't he once ask a question? What they said, like, "What's more than infinity?" And he went, "Like, What's Gillian, like yeah." Gillian, Gillian. I think that's featured on the podcast. Yeah. Is it, if I sat here all day. Just... <laughs> Repeated billion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, 
Lovely really stuff. be bigger than affinity. Yeah. <laughs> so we've established thus far that uh, uh, your mum has mugged off the uh, classic and traditional Irish name that we have given to uh, our new tenant, uh, Killian. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, good to but know. She was. She liked the third name of your. Of, of well, our new, our new tenant. Um, just for the interests of uh, transparency, because I will protect his. We, his we'll have to stop calling him a tenant at some. Well, point. he is a tenant. He lives <laughs> with me. So you know he's a he's a fucking tenant until he. I mean he's not he's not stumped up any rent yet, and with the cost of living crisis the way it is, <laughs> yeah, you know my mortgage. It. Well, our mortgage has gone up by uh, nearly four hundred pound a month, and uh, he hasn't. You That's know, when it was a good deal. He's li- well. yeah exactly, and you know because when he was when he when he first uh, emerged, he spent a couple of weeks um, not living with us, shall we say, uh, <laughs> very much hospital based. Um, but but since he's he's moved out of the hospital, he sort of packed his bags and came and landed himself with us. He really has contributed nothing in terms of finances uh, or even practical solutions to the you know the energy crisis or any any other of the modern day problems that Liz Truss is tackling head on with great skill and uh, and um, competence. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he brings to the table moving forward. But I, I see him playing an invaluable role in this in this podcast. And as I think I said to you before we start recording, Matthew, uh, I will give him three and a half to four weeks to uh, surpass your level of football uh, knowledge. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think we said that was generous. Yeah, I'm back. I think we him. could pivot. Yeah, we could pivot towards. So we could sort of, you know. Do a kind of a loose women if we're going to feature your your new tenant mm. regularly. Mm. We could maybe pivot towards more of a family based uh, podcast. Like Go for loose, the mums net audience. Loose men, I think. Yeah, we could. Yeah, call loose it. men. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Killian is indeed a man. I mean, I, you know, yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have no doubt about uh, somebody's uh, gender uh, uh, after they have pointed their. Uh, admittedly emerging penis uh, directly into your face and, and, and urinated. Uh, that is, yeah. you really are in very little doubt after then as to uh, <laughs> where things stand. Yeah. And he, yeah, he does. It's more of a, um, my brother, he's got a couple, one boy, one girl. and A uh, couple of tenants. He's, yeah. yeah. And uh, he said the boy uh, emits more of a sprinkler type spray mm. whereas the girls are better at sort of you know it's quite consistent well quite i mean just by virtue of the logistics there it's going to be that's yeah, inevitable yeah, yeah. isn't it i found a key yeah, thus far i'm by no means an expert i've been doing this for about two weeks since because before that uh he's you know when he was checked in at the uh at the uh Homerton hospital you know they were very much taking care of a lot of these things so, but after he checked out of there and paid his <laughs> bill i'm assuming he paid his bill i mean they haven't traced stuff um, but uh, I found that it hasn't the... been privatized yet. No, indeed, no. no. But it's you know in, in Liz we trust, uh-huh. um, uh, and and she's definitely got her heart in the right place and her finger on the pulse. Um, uh, I, I have um, found that the best way to mitigate the risk of a a, um, a fountain of piss ending up anywhere near you is to drape one of the wet wipes that are going to be used as for the cleanup job over said area at the beginning now he doesn't like the coldness of that that does not go down oh. well it really doesn't go down well it's not popular but it does then suppress um anything that comes uh comes oh, out yeah. as a result of the changing process 
That's like when you put your hand in warm water when you're sleeping or something mm. and it makes you go to the toilet. Isn't that a classic kind of like stag jape that people do to each other? Yeah, like, yeah, they yeah. Shave I bet you someone's off. done that to you, haven't they? Well, you know, whether they put my hand in warm water or not, it wasn't, I wasn't clear. <laughs> but you pissed yourself. <laughs> but the outcome was still. <laughs> right. Anyway, we've done uh, now eight minutes of absolute uh, nonsense. Um, so let's carry on with some more nonsense. <laughs> I've done Part zero two. preparation for this uh, podcast, <laughs> even though we haven't done one now. What is it? It must be about five weeks or something since we've done one, isn't it? Um, yeah. But I'm just going to randomly come up with some questions for you, Matthew. This is part of the oh, ongoing... Oh, no, we've fra- done 10 fra- minutes. Fra- fra- Matthew, me thinks you do... <laughs> me- you know, I hate people who say <laughs> me thinks, and I've just said it. Yeah. <laughs> They're in the, the same sort of... Come twat me. Twat, ca- yeah, twat category of people who say, like... <laughs> Ye oldie, and uh, could I trouble you? <laughs> could I trouble you for two flagons of your finest ale and that sort of shit? You know, wankers yeah. with no personality, basically. Yeah. So you know, tick. That's me. Uh, apparently, now it is. Um, uh, Matthew, are you prepared? Do you like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me. Re- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can like I have? One or do we to move- <laughs> carry on and move on to the other one? Um, Matthew, do you have a gas or electric boiler? Uh, I think it's a combi. Mm. Is it a combi? People, we've been sort of trying to look at new houses and uh, boilers seem such an intrinsic part of like buying property because they're always like, the boiler's new, the boiler's new, or the boiler's boiler's a year old. Well, yeah, it's because the last thing that anyone wants is buying a gas and then within a year. I I had to get, uh, I bought this place in 2009 and by the winter of 2010, we needed to completely replace the boiler. It packed up during the, the coldest spell. So we'd been in here, I can't remember if it was six months or a year and six months. No, I think it was only about six months. So straight away, bang. And I paid, yeah. I think then it was about three grand. But boilers have gone up even more in price. Now. And if you want, yeah, yeah. if you just like anything, you want a decent one, you pay for it, but then it lasts. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's, friend, that's why people A friend of ours moved into a flat though. And, uh, and he had to have his whole roof um redone like he was living for a time without a roof or something in the flat that he moved into mm. um and you think well that's probably bigger you know to sort of be oh, yeah, no, they're, they're bigger. the roof is is definitely you know in shape and once you once you've once you've um uh, sort of hunkered <laughs> down in the gaff as well and got all your got all your um got all your ducks in a row you can probably ensure that any problems with a boiler are covered in your home insurance. Or or if you yeah. pay, I pay about 22, 23 quid a month to British Gas <laughs> so that they, they basically service it once a year. And then if they, I think they're, they're then obliged to replace it if it's beyond repair. So small price other, to pay for that piece of money. Other gas providers are available for No, services. no, not, not for me. Not, no. <laughs> oh, they well, they're all wankers, aren't they? So you either, whoever's your yeah. provider now. The wankers do have a on. monopoly. Yeah, they yeah. do. They do. <laughs> I blame Putin. I was listening to Liz Truss earlier, <laughs> yeah. who's someone I have nothing but respect for. And she says that the reason that uh, the new government who uh, had their, obviously gained power in early September, had a couple of weeks off when Her Majesty uh, passed, sadly passed, and we were all in deep, deep mourning. So they've essentially only been in power for about three weeks. And in that time, um, decided unprompted, um, to embark upon a, a, some might say, risky 
um, sort of Wild West hyper libertarian mini budget that wasn't a budget. Um, and the reason they did that was entirely down to Vladimir Putin. I think what, what they're suggesting, if I may paraphrase Liz Truss, is that Vladimir Putin personally visited her in the middle of the night, uh, grabbed her by the short and curly, he's held a gun to her head, and I'm not going to attempt a Russian accent, but essentially said, like, <laughs> you will lower... I don't know what that was. <laughs> Can you do a Russian accent? <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep going down that one. Uh, essentially, you will lower taxes. Uh, yeah. So that's you will, you will lower tax. No, that's no, quite good. Well, that's not bad. Yeah. No, so that's well. the reason everything everything that's going on at the moment is nothing to do with um, uh, uh, sort of you know catastrophic decision making and people being completely out of their depth and uh, a, a party who are now completely out of ideas and need to be booted out after twelve years of incompetence, misery, austerity, Brexit, blah blah blah. No, it's got nothing to do with that. It's 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 Vlad. It's all Vlad's fault. <laughs> yeah. And, and don't, yeah. Yeah. Good. Right. Second question. I think that's. I think we've done. Come, mate. There's. Second question. Almost half. Matthew, what do you prefer, strawberries or raspberries? Uh, I had a bit of an issue with strawberries recently. We we spoke about it a little bit uh, in the summer, Mm. where I was buying quite a lot of strawberries, and I think they were going slightly rotten or something before I was cutting them up, and then we started get. We had an infestation of them. fruit flies yeah which are quite tricky to get rid of okay. and um especially because i can't see them mm. uh but joe things are hard to get rid of when you can't see them aren't they <laughs> I <don't> yeah know. <laughs> i know they're the best things i like it's to get rid real of real challenge isn't it yeah yeah but joe assured me that they were definitely with there and um mm. uh she was yeah did her best to um squash their presence this is why you you complain about me asking you these ludicrous so questions. maybe raspberries yeah <laughs> That's why I asked it. You could have just said raspberries. You you seemed in a hurry, but then you went in some ludicrous tangent about fruit flies on your strawberries that was specific to a particular time of year in your uh, Derbyshire uh, mansion. Um, And, uh, you know, that's essentially... uh, One thing I learned today, being up north, is we dropped... um, uh, Joe and I dropped a bike off somewhere to get repaired, and... um, And the guy wasn't there initially, and then he turned up and he said, "Oh, sorry, I was just getting, just getting my sandwiches for my dinner." And I was just about to ask him, I was like, "Why do you have sandwiches for dinner?" But that's. But then Joe explained to me afterwards that around here they call lunch dinner, and then they call dinner tea. And she was like, "I'm so glad you didn't ask that." But I'm I'm putting it on. You know, I thought it'd be better to have it on the podcast instead. I'm um, sitting here with did my head in that? my hands. Yeah, I fucking did know that. Of course I knew that. Every <laughs> fucker knows that. You've lived up north for nearly a year, right? I Everyone, because that's the big thing, isn't it? The most boring, cliched debate about, oh, what do you call it? Dinner or well, tea? Well, yeah, you know? tea. No, dinner is at lunchtime, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. The majority of people up north don't no longer use that terminology, but there is a, still a, a, a committed constituency of people who do, and... Uh, you need to be ready yeah. for that sort of thing, Matt. But you're well, clearly yeah. not. You're walking around literally with Asking him. people why they're eating sandwiches. Yeah. And also, yeah. as a man whose you know, regular dinner options are a pot noodle or a jacket potato, you are in no position to criticise anyone no, being no, sandwiches for dinner. <laughs> you know, or indeed about anything else. Yeah, yeah. Good. All right. In fact, my final question will be, Matt, what are you having tonight for your Friday night dinner? Uh, We're recording this on Friday, by the way. 
pizza takeaway pizza or a home pizza and chips. Uh, so that's I mean, so that's quite yeah. normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so, did go past the Chinese chippy. Yeah, and uh, Joe mentioned it because obviously I didn't see it. Pizza so, and uh, chips. Yeah, it did did give me a rice smile. What sort of chips? Fries get... or or chip shop chips? Proper chips. Uh, we've sp- the ones from the frozen bag, right? Rubbish. And so you're getting a takeaway <laughs> pizza, and you're going to top it no. up. Oh, so you're <laughs> so shop bought pizza and shop bought chips. You really know how to live. Aren't you? It's like the last days of Rome. It's a, it's a cost of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. living it up. Yeah, blimey, you're the sort of people who aren't fixing the roof while the sun's shining. That's how they are. <laughs> George Osborne warned me about you 12 years ago. Good people like you. Right, football. 16 minutes in, let's talk about football on this football-related podcast. Please. Uh, I, I, I don't even know where to start because, obviously, we haven't spoken about um, anything for quite a while. So, I don't know whether to back... I mean, obviously, I could just talk about Liverpool, but then I do that a lot. No. And do anyone really want to hear? <laughs> Have I got anything else to add about Liverpool's struggle so far this season? It's, it's a bit of a trodden path, isn't it? Is there anything you want to talk about, Matthew? Um, I thought of an interesting thesis, which Ooh. if I knew more about football I could probably write a decent dissertation about but it was I wrote I read a couple of so articles I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna pause you there there's a lot of assumptions in that in that statement uh an interesting <laughs> thesis that if you knew more about football you could write a dissertation about so that's I'd say I'd, I'd regard that as quite an arrogant I mean, statement uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well, okay and well, also there's if, the if is doing a lot of lifting in that in that there isn't it if I knew more about football I'd be saying if I knew more about I mean uh, that Microbiology. That, that anything, really. Yeah, I can, <laughs> yeah, I can get a doctorate in microbiology. <laughs> Go on, um, what is this? Uh... I read an article. I read an article. It's in the Guardian. It was about um, uh, Erling Erling Haaland. Erling Haaland, yeah, or Holland actually, Haaland. as it should be. Oh yeah, and they were just saying it was just like saying how absolutely amazing he's, you know, the numbers he's he's generating, the goals and. Everything like that is off the charts. Yeah. And they were sort of saying, they almost inferred that because Man City is effectively a state-backed football team, they didn't have to worry about sort of commercial interest as someone like a Man U with Paul Pogba on the, on the uh, you know, in the squad may, may have worried about or been concerned about as much. But then I read um, an article about um, Kylian Mbappe and... Which is also, you know, effectively a state-backed football team. Yeah, and they've they seem to have completely undermined that idea that it doesn't need to worry about commercial interests, and they've just got a a sort of a smorgasbord of uh, massively highs, high. But given, you know, in order to keep Kylian Mbappe, they essentially gave him a new, a massive new contract last summer with decision-making powers. He's almost like an unofficial mm. director of the club while still playing for them, and as some astute people have pointed out that was never going to work so it's no surprise that about four months later not even a third of the way through this season barely a quarter of the way through this season that it's already kicking off and he's agitating for a move in January I mean it's, it is ridiculous I don't actually agree that Manchester City don't have to think about commercial considerations because if you if you look at what has happened to them over the last few years it's pretty clear that uh, that commercial they're as, they're as kind of um, affected or bound by commercial considerations as anyone else's. And that's all because of this fina- financial fair play regulations. And bear in mind, UEFA have tried to um, clobber them 
for financial fair play a couple of times. And it was only, I think, two years ago that they were given a Champions League ban for a season or two. And then that was then appealed and overturned. And in fact, it wasn't just then a kind of restricted punishment. The whole case against them was kind of thrown out. But UEFA have been after them, which is why Man City, a lot of Man City fans have a lot of antipathy towards UEFA and claim to not be as bothered about winning the Champions League as they are domestic stuff because, the, you know, fuck UEFA kind of type thing and they boo the uh, Champions League anthem, as indeed Liverpool fans do now. They never used to, but since the debacle in Paris last year, they're just like, oh, you know what, fuck that. Um, but, but, but what that demonstrates is that Man City, it's not, you can't, just these days, and Newcastle are finding this out as well, you can't just, yes, okay, it's great to have unlimited resources, but you can't just spend it in a way that has no consequence because the whole point of financial fair play is you're not spending beyond your means. Your, your revenue generation is supposed to then not be lower than the amount you're spending on wages and, um, and uh, um, transfer fees. And that's why um, a lot of people who criticise financial fair play say that even though on the surface, it was kind of badged up as a um, system that is um, stopping um, kind of Roman Abramovich type people or, you know, governments or, um, from whatever part of the world coming in and, and sort of bullying their way to the top by ludicrous, unsustainable spending, or unlimited spending, should I say, um, that actually what it's done or what it does is constrains, it, it, it um, protects the elite. Because if you can only really spend what you're generating, then there's only a certain profile of club that are ever going to be able to make the amount of money that you, um, whereby you're you're generating so much that you can spend 100 million on a football. And we really are talking the sort of you know top 10 um, clubs in Europe, and that's why they're so threatened. That's why people like that's why the European Super League came back. That's why people like Florentino Perez um, in Madrid and the the, the clown. Uh, and Yelly in um, at Juve, uh, right duplicitous fucker he is. Um, that's why they're absolutely desperate to get this thing off the ground because they want to protect uh, their assets, stop anyone else from kind of uh, coming along. And in an ideal world, they would like to have really done that without involvement, I think, of these kind of state-backed clubs. But that's also why the state-backed clubs weren't as bothered about the European Super League. They were kind of just going along with it, but they don't. Ne- they didn't need it to kind of... Um, save them from the potential financial abyss where they were constantly being pushed to spend money that they were finding it more and more difficult to to justify and generate themselves. But Man City, in order to kind of comply by the rules, they do need to um, show that they're generating revenue um, to justify spending huge amounts of money on Jack Grealish. And well, I only hired didn't actually cost them that much money. Did that's the genius of them. I mean, you have to you know take your hat off to, to City really. Which is why their business model, you know, the the the, the jealous uh, other half of, other half of the city like to kind of throw stones at them, saying, "Ah, oh, they're they're these kind of vulgar new money types, and they've got no identity, and it's all about just coming along and you know illegitimate state wealth, and they've you know they've they've just bought their way to the top." But in that same period of time, uh, the uh, the old Trafford side of the city have outspent Manchester City; they've just done it badly catastrophically badly with uh, vanity buy after vanity buy of almost all um, big catastrophic failures. Whereas City, to be fair to them, other than other than Greeley, I mean, don't get me wrong, they've spent massively. Their squad is hugely valuable. The average cost of, a, of, of their players is probably 30 or 40 million quid across the whole squad. But they've 
generally been able to extract quite good value in terms of um, the, the transfer fees that they pay. They don't allow themselves to get mugged off. They've walked away a number of times from transfers where they're just like, no, we're, we're at our limits here. Alexis Sanchez being a prime example of that when he was um, running down his contract to Arsenal and he was kind of going to kind of be available to sign a pre-contract agreement, getting pretty much free, but he was demanding about half a million or more in salary per week. And they just weren't prepared to go there. And that turned out to be an incredibly astute decision because he went to Old Trafford and ended up, I think he cost something ludicrous like 21 million per goal or something stupid like that across you know his um, illustrious and hugely successful spell there. So City, I... You know, I know that people like to imagine this world in which everyone's so adversarial and hateful and reflective of the society we live in and you can't say anything positive about your rivals and you're all supposed to hate each other. But as I've said before on this podcast, I if Manchester City are succeeding or Liverpool are succeeding, there's another club that are not happy about that. So I'm quite happy with that. And I, I have no problem with uh, with um, uh, City. And I'm, you know, I mean, Erling Haaland specifically on here, Haaland, sorry, that is the Nordic way of pronouncing it. Um, he is like a freak of nature. He really is. And as a footballer, he has such a strange uh, mix of skills because he has the speed that you would associate with a, a kind of um, a slightly shorter, um, more athletic looking person. But then the power and the height of someone who what well, he looks like he would have, but also the, the finesse, the touch, the technique. And the, but the ability to barely be involved in a football match, have far fewer touches than anyone, anyone else on the pitch, but yet still be the most impactful player on the pitch because his reading of the game, his movement, his speed of movement, his speed of thought is so good and his finishing is so clinical. It is, I mean, it has at times in the first part of the season looked almost like it, like if it was a computer game that someone had found a, a cheat mode and it just <laughs> turned it on and made it really, really unfair for everyone else. But, you know, I mean, fair... Fair play to him. But this, we, it, I think it would be churlish to pick up the podcast at this stage and not really mention how amazingly good Arsenal have been. Because um, I think earlier on in the season, right at the beginning, maybe even before the season started, I think I said that I think Arsenal have... I've, I can't remember whether I ever said they started well or I thought that they would have a good season because of who they've brought in. But it's not needless just... to say. need to say I am. <laughs> thus far, I'm having the last laugh. Even if that laugh involved watching them, um, you know, beat Liverpool last weekend. Um, But what I find impressive about it is that, yeah, okay, Gabriel Jesus has made a big impact. Uh, Zinchenko, to a lesser extent, but he'll have made a big impact. I'd say getting those types of people in the club will have a big impact kind of behind the scenes as well. They're bringing a winning mentality, the experience of winning, everything, you know, that that being at Man City for a few years would... um, would give, give you in terms of your character and your experience. But the reason that I think Arteta deserves great uh, credit and respect is that he has coached and improved players that were kind of already there. Uh, you know, he's redefined the role in the side of Granit Xhaka and turned him from being a kind of a liability in terms of discipline and use of the football uh, in possession to someone who's now much more attacking, much more dynamic. And all of a sudden, loved by the fans who were kind of booing him off the pitch a couple of years ago. Um, and he's developing young players really, really well. He's given them all of a sudden, they've got a bit of steel at the back, which they haven't had for years, even in the last few years of Wenger. Arsenal, to be honest, Arsenal, there are people who will be Arsenal fans now, say even in their early to mid-teens, 
who will not be able to remember Arsenal having a, a backbone. They'll have been a soft touch throughout their entire life, which for people of our vintage, Matt, is a, is a, uh, unimaginable because what were they, you know, even Matt, you, someone who's got a passing interest in football, when we were at school, what were Arsenal known for? Defence. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, even to the extent of the film... The full Monty. They were using as a as a technique to stay in formation for their stripping uh, routine. They were using the Arsenal back four. You know, one of them puts their arm up and they're all in line. Because, you know, the Adams, uh, Bold, Winterburn, Dixon, uh, Keown slash Bold. You know, they're interchangeable. But um, and then we've we've seen them behind them. And like, so Arsenal were a byword for a long, long time. Even and that was the genius of the early Wenger time because he was able to take that that defensive solidity and that toughness and that that kind of physical edge and still whilst maintaining that make add some kind of beautiful flair touches open them up improve the players that were there you know and obviously the the most famous sort of epitome of that is the goal that Tony Adams scored right at the end of the season in 98 against um, Everton where Bold chips it kind of over the top. Adams runs onto it, knocks it down and smashes it in with his left foot. You know, all of a sudden these two that were kind of cast aside as donkeys, really, unfairly as it turned out. But for years, all of a sudden now they're looking like uh, sort of these <laughs> continental galloping, <laughs> uh, marauding sort of, you know, uh, sweepers who can, you know, uh, uh, what do they call them, Libros or whatever. I don't know. Um, and... and so that was the, that, but but since then, probably since the end of that kind of generation, Arsenal then went on to have really good defend, superb defenders actually, like Sol Campbell, kind of Torre to an extent. But I'd argue that since then they have been. You know, if you see, if you're a fan of any other club, even a club that's significantly weaker than Arsenal, if you see them coming in the fixture list, you're not particularly scared. You fancy your chances of rattling them, um, and you think, you know, even if all right. We don't want them getting on top of us in terms of their attacking players, but we, we can get into them. We can intimidate them um, and we can, make, you know, um, just essentially frighten them and, and they'll put in some sort of meek and pathetic performance. I don't see that happening. I don't think they're going to win a league because I think this, this year is basically going to be Man City by as many points as they want to win it by. But Arsenal are in the... Com- the fact that they're even in the conversation is testament to how well uh, Arteta has done. And they're, they're, they're really good to watch. They're... They're really hard working. They look like a, a, a solid and united unit. They look like they've got really good sort of team spirit. Arteta's been brave as well in terms of um, having the, the confidence and the personality to stand up to Aubameyang, who was probably their, their best, most high-profile fo- high player um, during that period of time. And in, even in Arteta's kind of early spell as manager, and he pushed him out of the club. Um, and it's, it's worked out really well for them now. I know Arsenal being Arsenal, if they, you know, with their reputation over the last 10 or 15 years, these words could sound ridiculous in a few months' time. But I, I look at the way they are at the moment and I don't see them um, collapsing in the way that you'd expect them to in the past. And it's interesting when you contrast that with Spurs, your team, Matt, who obviously you're, you're, you're crazy about and, you know, hanging on all their uh, results. <clears> that Spurs have actually had a... a, a to some extent, a similarly impressive uh, start to the season. You know, they've only lost one game. That was against Arsenal, painful as that may be. But but the difference is that Spurs are doing it in a way where the, the kind of the narrative around them is, could they be doing more? Are they playing a little bit within themselves? Because they ended last season 
these really, really um, exuberant attacking football. They were tearing teams apart. They were, you know, the wide players, uh, Kulisevsky and Son supporting um, uh, Kane. And they've obviously added Richarlison into the mix this this season. And you kind of think, OK, they, they really, they could start absolutely tearing teams apart. And I think there maybe have been one game in there where they gave someone a proper hammering. But the rest of the time, they've, they've, they've just been sort of getting over the line. But you know what? It, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it really doesn't matter. It's just all about the points. You know, the year that Liverpool won the league in, in 1920, it's easy to kind of misremember that as a time when, oh, they're playing this uh, amazing Jurgen Klopp heavy metal football where we were just blitzing teams off the park. But you look at the results for a lot of that season and there were a lot of one nils, two ones, you know, late goals, getting over the line, not playing any really better than seven or eight out of ten, but still kind of getting there. And Tottenham seem to have, I mean, they've got the right coach to be doing exactly that. So I I think there's Tottenham will probably come as close this season to winning a trophy, the, the famous trophy that they <laughs> they, they, they allegedly need to win. Um, then probably any time, certainly since getting to the Champions League final in um, in 2019, because I just I look someone like Conte. He's just if if he doesn't turn them into a trophy winning contender at least, he's not going to stick around for that. You know, his ego is I'm an elite manager. I'm a I'm a sort of title winning manager. And building Tottenham into a team that in five years time can challenge for the title is not what he's in the game for. And um, the other thing I think is worth noting on that kind of credit to the coaching front, which I, pr- probably for me actually is probably the best coaching story of the season. So far, he's Eddie Howe at Newcastle because everyone that goes on about Newcastle and all these incredible players they're going to be able to bring in and all the money that they've suddenly got access to and it's going to transform this and this, that and the other player are going to, you know, you won't see him for dust. But, the, I mean, their, their turnaround is really, really impressive. They're probably going to end up being a top six or seven team this season and they're only going to get stronger as, as time goes on and they've brought some really 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 good players Bruno Gamera is, uh, is probably the best example of that but the change in people like Joe Linton and uh, Almiron is, is unbelievable these are players that under Steve Bruce and under uh, Rafa Benitez before that were completely derided as are these kind of Dull, uninspiring, out of their depth. Joe Linton signed as a centre forward. He never scores. He's got no confidence, blah, blah, blah. And he's now a box-to-box centre midfielder who's kind of running the game. And that is entirely a triumph of coaching. That has got nothing to do with anything else other than good quality coaches going in there, identifying potential and getting it out of the players and realising how to build a system that is going to get the most out of those players. And I think that it's kind of it can be quite unfashionable to give credit to coaches like Eddie Howe sometimes, although it's probably becoming a little bit more fashionable to do so because Graham Potter's obviously got to got the Chelsea job. But this that kind of generation of kind of English managers in their thirties and early forties, <coughs> who these kind of like tracksuit managers who didn't necessarily have the, the highest profile playing career, but are really you know hardworking, innovative, and flexible coaches. And how? Yeah, fair, I mean, fair play to the guy. He could end up. He could end up uh, managing. I say that actually. He could end, end up managing England one day. Part of me thinks, why the hell would he want to do that? Why would he want to step away from day to day club football, managing a club like Newcastle, to to managing England? I mean, what would you do, Matt? You love Newcastle, don't you? It's a place you went to university. 
yeah. Um, who who was it that said they were looking to take over the or they were interested in the England job after Southgate? What do you mean they? What they? Someone themselves has said they're interested. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh I don't know. Oh, I have to look out. Big Sam Allardyce. <laughs> with, his, so. with his pint of wine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I think Sam Allardyce could actually end up being the next prime minister. Probably by the time we next, uh, by the time we next uh, record a, a podcast, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they'll bring Big Sam in just to get them over the line uh, until the next election, do a do a holding job, save them from relegation, um, and then get someone more uh, dynamic in to uh, fight the election campaign. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Now. Feels like you're devising a an electoral strategy. Indeed. Well, it is. <laughs> no, but um, just just very quickly, it is quite that is quite an interesting shift. It shows you the extent to which club football now completely trumps in most people's eyes international football, even the very top level international football, because there was you know in the in the old days the very very best uh, British managers saw managing their national team as the the pinnacle and would. Like Brian Clough, for example, he was winning, you know, uh, twice European Cup uh, cups, two European Cups, so with Nottingham Forest and the league title, and then through even when they kind of lost that peak of like late seventies, early eighties, all the way through the eighties, they were competing towards the top of the league, winning, you know, um, quite a lot of league cups. They got to an FA Cup final in ninety uh, one, but he would have walked away from that job. In a, without giving it a second thought if the England job had ever been offered to him. And I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think it's seen as... And that's... I don't think it's seen as the pinnacle in the same way as it used to be. And that's probably why someone like Southgate, who I don't criticise him in a way that a lot of other people do, primarily because I don't actually particularly give a shit. Um, but also his performance, fair play to him. You know, I, you know, in my lifetime, knowing the managers had that consistency of getting to a semi-final and then a final of major international tournament... Um, but he's he's still relatively unproven at club level, and yet got the chance to manage England. And that just wouldn't have happened, you know. Look at managers before that; they were they were going down the complete other road of continental, flashy continental coaches with great pedigrees, Capello and Ericsson. Um, you Thomas know, Thomas Tuchel. What about Thomas Tuchel? He was the one. What well, well, England manager? Yeah. Yeah. Thomas Tuchel open to replacing Gareth Southgate as England manager. Look into my eyes when I'm talking to you, Matthew. (laughs) If you're going to shake my hand, look into my eyes. As long as everyone who shakes him by the hand looks him in the eye, then he'd probably make a great England manager. (laughs) He'll end up, probably end up getting the Bayern Munich job at some stage. If Bayern Bayern have had a mixed start to the season, if if that carries on, they'll probably ditch Nagelsmann and give it to Tommy Tuchel. I don't know whether he'll... Um, I don't know whether the FA now have kind of... Maybe they're a little bit done with their era of uh, giving non-English managers the England job. I mean, again, I don't have an opinion on it one way or the other. I don't particularly care who manages England, but I'd, I'd be quite surprised if they did that. But then another part of me thinks, well, if you get a chance to give a guy Tuchel's quality the job, you, then you should. But then he, he allegedly completely lost... Um, the dressing room at Chelsea because of his lack of sort of human skills <laughs> and, and and international management more than club management is completely reliant on your your human sort of people management skills because you don't get the time with them for the tactical stuff or as much time so you have to 
you know, you have to really just get into their personalities and they have to buy into sort of playing for you and they have to trust you. And if Tuchel's not into that kind of touchy-feely, Jurgen Klopp-style hug everyone when they come off the pitch, then, I don't know, that might undermine his chances of being a good international manager. But time will tell, Matthew. <laughs> but anyway, we've rambled, or I've rambled on enough. We'll wrap that up because we're around the time of the sort of, you know, the golden the golden 40-odd minutes of uh, optimum <laughs> podcast length. That's what our listeners expect. Um, but... Do you, th- I mean, you know, I like to think, Matthew, that we can now go back to being regular uh, or relatively regular, uh, knocking out these. Uh... I always aspire to be regular. I... Yeah, we all do. <laughs> well, that's why you like your raspberries. <laughs> See, that's what's called. A, that's what's called in the trade a callback. Uh, you need to, you know, that, that's really clever. A, top, a topper. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a callback. Less... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyone, by the way, who hasn't listened to the second series of Alan Partridge from the Oast House needs to, uh, if only for an incredible song, that a jingle song that he ends, I think, chapter nine with about Isambard Kingdom Brunel. And it's a kind of, in the style of a kind of dark Joy Division uh, song. It is absolutely incredible. So on that recommendation bombshell, uh, it's time to say goodbye for the triumphant return of Football Unfocused. Uh, Killian's there in the background. Has he got anything to? No, he's got nothing to add. He's just he's hitting the bottle, uh, uh, literally. Um, uh, do you want to say goodbye, Matthew? G- goodbye. That's it. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>